This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Do we have to wear hard hats? Have a listen to this. Just to carry my name and address of Michelle. You're not getting an answer to that. Have a listen to this. The Head Radio Podcast looks at the humble scene in the backward place where no one important ever looks. To steal from Patrick Havner. Taking inspiration from the Hedge Schools of old, the Hedge Radio Podcast brings you stories that you won't hear anywhere else. You need imagination for everything. Have a listen to this. It's someone's reaction to reading a book. Mr. Paul Webster. Paul Butler Lennox. How, how are you doing? How are you? I'm good. I'm how good. How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you? Yeah, good form. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to F&I Rap Chat. Um, we hope... We, we, seem to be, we seem to be at a bit of a clearing, don't we, Paul? And yeah, in, yeah. In, 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 there seems to be a lot more shooting at the moment. And yeah, yeah. Um, some, ex- some, you know, exciting things on yeah, the horizon. And yeah, people are excited. I think, um, you know, it's it's tough. It's been a tough year. Anything that has been made, it's, you know, taking a quarter of their budget and all that. So it's, mm. you know, it, we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a light there, definitely. And, um, yeah, looking forward to a good, Summer of filming, yeah. Summer of love. Welcome yeah. back. Welcome back. Yeah. No, just even the light and stuff, the change in the light and everything is really. Yeah. It's 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 exciting. Things seem a little bit more exciting again. I I, I love being a part of that. Um, thanks a million to everybody who listens to the show. What we would ask um this week as a little favor from our audience, is if you do uh listen to the show on uh I um. Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, you might hop on and just give us a little rating if you like the show. Um, maybe leave a little, re- little review if 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 you have a little bit of time to do so. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Um, and also thank you to our sponsors, Film Equipment Store, Wildcard Distribution, and Octavid.com for the incredible support that they give us. Words of encouragement and just legendary status they're very close to attaining here in at FNI. Um. And also, if you'd like to support Film Network Ireland in general terms, head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. And also, down the down the road, we're going to be launching a membership scheme in which we will um, be revealing some really cool things that people can avail of. Um, and in turn, um, for your support, uh, we'd like to we'd like to give some offerings back um, to patches on the back and tell you all how sound you are. So who have we got today, Paul? Today we have a well-known Irish actor called Jason Barry. And we had a brilliant chat with him, very honest uh, about the life of a jobbing actor and the ups and downs. Mm. Um, He has just recently moved back to Ireland from LA um, and uh, is kind of basing himself here as an actor and as a writer. Um, Yeah, really nice fella. Uh, Very, yeah, a very interesting chap. Yeah, it, it's uh, it was just exciting to hear, you know, somebody who still retains their optimism for their work after such a long time. And then just somebody who's who's kind of experienced the snakes and ladders and the ups and downs of it all, you know, and grey highs, but, you know, some other lows and, and just retains their enthusiasm, I think, is a really, really, it's really wonderful and refre- refreshing to hear. Not that everybody that come on, has come on in the past is a sad sack, but... <laughs> I fucking hate this work. No, you know, quite the contrary. But it's just wonderful to hear. And then, you know, just someone who's uh, who's just engaged seems to be engaged with the with the community in which he works in, which is lovely to see. Mm, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, actors especially will enjoy this, but I think it's for anyone. So let's go to Jason Barry. Roll it there, Roshan. Webster. Hi. How's it going? We're in the studio here with Jason Barry. How are you getting on? I'm pretty good. Uh, looking forward to having a chat. Lovely. Thanks a million for coming on. Um, first of all, welcome back to Dublin. Thank you. We uh, moved back early April. So uh, kind of thinking about it for a while. Um, obviously, during the pandemic, it kind of accelerated the thoughts of moving back. But we've been thinking about it for a while. So it's great to be back. 
yeah, found a nice little place not too far away from my folks. So uh, spend a bit of quality time with them as they as they get older. Yeah. So it's, you're you're from Artane. I'm from Artane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I live Born. on the Beaumont Road at oh, the moment. Sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> where the right across the road from where the Beaumont Drive in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not too bad. Folks are not too far from there. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a big high rise going in there. Yeah. I mean, it's changed. <laughs> I mean, I, I lovely. Left. Just what the area needs. Yeah. I know, but uh, I mean, even just Dublin, I left in. 1993 right. when I moved to London so every time I've come back it looks completely different but it's just the change is just extraordinary mm. you'd often wonder if I had to take photographs yeah. of like certain areas because when my folks first moved out to Artane they, they said there was no roads it was all like wooden dirt tracks yeah. went, that went to the houses and you just right. see the difference on how much it's all been built up so it would have been ostensibly been the countryside yeah pretty much yeah, well yeah. That, my mum's from the Liberties and she wanted to get a place in the Liberties but obviously for the size of the place you were going to get. It was tiny. Yeah. And she thought she was literally moving out to the country because it was like that kind of feeling. It's like, where the hell are we? You know? <laughs> no buses, no nothing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah so she, was uh, it a big family, you guys? Um, um, no, just two brothers. Okay. All in the industry. Really? Yeah, my brother Keith is an AD. He works nonstop. And Glenn is an actor and does a lot of voiceovers as well. So I don't know how that happened because my dad worked in Cadbury's. My mum worked in Bewley's. And we all ended up in the film industry, so I'm not quite sure. Maybe there's just too much chocolate going on, so That's kind of good. drive us a bit. A nuts, very yeah. Dublin story. All right, exactly. Welcome yeah. along today. Yeah. Um, how did acting first appear in your horizon as a kid? Uh, or perform, or the creative or performing yeah, arts you know, in general? I'm going to put that down to a friend of mine called Brian Halpin, who's okay. a real, real film buff and connoisseur of film. And every Friday, now we've been 14, 15, 16. And every Friday, he would, we would go to his place and we'd watch movies. Movies that I'd never heard of, all black and white movies, okay. obscure movies. And that really imprinted in me film and acting. Mm. I just saw them as the one thing at the time. I just thought, this is acting, this is film, this is great. Um, but that's my first kind of point of going into that world. And then I went to DYT. Mm -hmm. um, I did a little bit in the Gated School of Acting with Patrick Sutton. He had a part-time course. Can't remember where it was Lombard Lombard Lane or something, and uh, then I, then it was DYT. But my initial involvement or wanting to get into film industry will go down to my old schoolmate Brian. Yeah, and I hadn't spoken to him for years, and then we had a WhatsApp chat a couple of weeks ago, and we chatted for like an hour <laughs> and a half. And it was as if you know, I think the one thing about your old really good friends from back in the day is if you don't fall out with them. Mm -hmm. When you rekindle that friendship, it's as if you'd spoken like last week. Literally right? picking up from where you're Amazing. Left and uh, so he was a huge inspiration on me just looking into the arts world because I, I had nothing to do with the arts in, in, in my family or in my background at all. So, yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. What was uh, Dublin Youth Theatre like? Because it's such a seminal organisation. Yeah. Arts, I, you know, I think what I loved about Dublin Youth Theatre was I was, I was always kind of a, a jester as a kid. <laughs> um, so it's not that I liked the attention, but I, I was... I was happy to be funny because people mm. laughed at you being funny. But when I went to DYT, it was a different thing. And I got really embarrassed. I used to get, you know, that red face thing you do as a teenager. Yeah. And I think DYT actually got rid of the red face for me, if that makes sense. Because <laughs> they kind of, it was a great experience with a lot of different people, working class people, middle class people, some upper class people, and all thrown into this melting pot. And it was just fun. It was like... You know, I used to play for St. Kevin's. It was like playing football. You just you really enjoyed it. Yeah. You enjoyed being around a bunch of people. The attention wasn't necessarily on you, but you enjoyed the intention that the shows and stuff that you did. And then we did a great play that Jerry Stembridge wrote and directed called Betrayals. It's the first um, first play I ever did. And it was a very clever play because in DYT and Gardner Street, he used the upstairs and the downstairs and the characters would half the audience is upstairs half the audience is downstairs and the characters go up and down between the show so you know and that was a fantastic yeah. experience a, a purpose built set pretty much yeah yeah, it, yeah. Like it's in, and, and sadly that building is, it had to be sold so it's not oh I didn't years. know that right. it's gone they've moved oh, okay. so DYT is now a moving entity so it goes around from different oh, spaces oh I didn't know that yeah a lot of good memories in that place mm. yeah and I do or never forget that the, that play we did Betrayals my mum, for whatever reason, and she's done this to, to my sister-in-law, who's, who's an actress, uh, Mae Fitzgerald. For some reason, my mum always seems to sit 
right in the front row and she has this kind of blonde <laughs> hair and it's as if the light is on her and you're coming out and you go oh, Jesus Christ <laughs> she's just there I don't want to see her and she's right there and she did the exact it's, same it's thing it's the woman with the emotional helmet <laughs> yeah right <laughs> just get her down the back get her down the back I'll never forget that but yeah that's a shame that like there was some great memories in that place yeah, yeah. still uh, you know it's still, as an entity it's still there but yeah, yeah of course um, yeah. so how did that lead to taking that a step further and making it a professional? It was a bit of a struggle because my parents, they kind of were all okay with DYT because it's not like the real world and it's not like a real job. And then when, you know, I did the leaving and it was like, okay, what are you going to do with your life? I was like, well, I wouldn't, you know, it took me a while to actually say I want to be an actor and they weren't, they weren't having it. And it's the, scary, I guess. It's it, scary course, for that. is a nine to five job yeah, yeah. making countless amounts of flake. Um, <laughs> what does he know about acting? You know, he, they need a Mac. There's a shortage of flakes. I, I know. I saw yeah. that. Yeah. I know. I saw, I saw. Um, <laughs> so he, they, they weren't overly impressed by it. So I actually then went and did a business course in Colester. Uh, uh, it was just a one year business course. And then I got a job in Hibernian Insurance. Wow, okay. It was like 17, 18. I should never be an employee. Like it was, I don't know how the hell I got in there. Um, and I was there for about four or five months and I was just like, I was looking at the guys around me and the, the people around me and I was thinking, you know, this is, it's not going to work for me, this. Like, it's just not going to work for me. You could see there was one guy who was always hung over. This one he could smoke as well. So he's in the corner, he's hung over. They're all going for pints at lunchtime and they're all going for pints after work. And it was just, this is not the environment for me. Mm. Um, so then I went back to the folks because I still wasn't of age to make my own decision. I was still living at home, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, And it was an aunt of mine who happened to be around the house. And we got into not an argument, a discussion. And she basically convinced them to just let him give it a go. Okay. Let him give it a go. And to my mum's credit, you know, she was, she was working in Bewley's. And I auditioned for Trinity College. And I think it was like two and a half grand a year or something at the time. And we didn't, you know, we didn't necessarily come from a lot of money. And she took on extra shifts in Bewley's for the two years that I went to college just to pay for that course. So she went from a place of no, 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 no to, OK, this is what my son's, what, what he wants to do. I'm going to get behind him and do everything I can to make it, at least try and make it work. Um, so that was that kind of process to get into Trinity and stuff. Yeah. That's an, like it comes up often, often it comes up on the podcast talking to other various different people in different disciplines of the, that one person who was mm -hmm. A mentor and a mentor can mean lots of different things yeah. for different people, but just somebody who like really took a and risk, it was just took that a one, risk on them. You yeah, know? it was just that one conversation and stuff as well. But yeah. with my mum, you know, and, and you know, she's you know, she kind of milks it now. She had to walk <laughs> in the rain and up, up over the flyover <laughs> to get to the Omni, but in French, she did, you know. And uh, I'm eternally grateful to her for doing that. I don't, I don't think my dad still gets it. No, no. I mean, he he's seen me do well and he's seen me struggle. Mm -hmm. So obviously, when he sees you struggle, that's what he focuses on. Because when you're doing well, it's like this what is what this? you're up against. Son, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you sure? I've been doing this forty years. Are you sure you want to keep doing this? Yeah. So yeah. So my dad. I mean, he's much mellower now, and I think as well because the other two brothers are in the business as well. It's just. It's just too much yeah. at times for him because yeah. because one of us is always out of work at some point. There's mm. never a job where we're always working or there's a lack of comfort. You know, you, you're not guaranteed work ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in his head, he worked from Cadbury's when he was like 25 until he retired. So his brain is just like yeah. this, 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 this retirement pension. Yeah. So it's a, you know, yeah. but it's a lot same for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. But my friend Sean Miller, he's a singer songwriter, and he he tells a story about his dad, had a similar generation, mm. and just. It's it's a it's hard for them to compute. He just yeah. used to say like, "Why a smart fella like you? Right. Why would why you would choose that? Why you choose to do something like that? Are you yeah. still doing the acting? Oh, that's the phrase. He's still doing the acting. <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah. worse than when an old buddy walks up to you. Is you still doing the acting? It's like, oh, yeah, like you're still playing. Like, you're still yeah. doing. The, you're still doing the living. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um. So then you know Trinity T uh, TCD. Yep. Then jumping off jumping off point after that into kind of the professional world. Yeah. What was that like? That must have been scary. I was blessed because I, uh, literally two weeks out, out of college, I got a, a lead in a film. Um, the Hubbards were casting it. Uh, Shane Connington wrote it. It was called I'll Marry This London. Mm -hmm. But I was three Dublin teenagers who go to London because the girl's having an abortion. I'm the dad and the best mate comes along, but the best mate's the actual boyfriend of the girl. He doesn't know I'm the dad. So you have three working class people. We got the, the bus to... <laughs> 
we get the ferry to Hollyhead we go into London and then we're like living in a bed sit while she's getting her, the abortion um, and it was the lead and John and Russell were cast it eternally grateful it was a fantastic role for me Carter goes nuts he shaves his head he runs down Camden High Street naked because he's completely lost his marbles um, which I lost my marbles after I did that <laughs> um but yeah, I was blessed. And then, you know, that was whatever, seven, eight week shoot. And I was, I got an agent in London straight away. I got ICM and things fell into place pretty quickly for me. And then I moved to London. I came back, spent a couple of months here and then, and then I moved to London. Yeah. So now that's it. When I moved to London, I stayed in a bed sit for two, for not a bed sit, in a, <laughs> a, hostel, a hostel for two weeks. Yeah. I didn't tell my mum any of this. Like she yeah. thought I was going over to stay in Same with a friend. <laughs> I was staying with a friend. But so it was, it was still a scramble. Yeah, and obviously yeah. working for the BBC, there was no money. But what it did is it gave me a really good lead role in the film mm -hmm. and a good agent. And mm -hmm. that's, you, I couldn't have asked for any, any more than that. Um, and then, yeah, I moved to London. So. What was it like for an actor in London at that time? And being Irish. Being Irish. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I remember I was on the tube and there was a bomb alert because this was still one of the times when there was bomb oh, alerts. Right, yeah. There's two stories I have actually. Yeah, there was one when I was on the tube and somebody asked me what time it was and I was just, I just thought it was <laughs> quarter past three and he went, you better know, you know, don't talk because if anybody else in this tube hears you, uh, they're going to have a word with you. Right. So that was one yeah. instance. And then the other instance was when Ireland played Italy in, I used to work at Ticketmaster. Uh, in London in Leicester Square and when I had Ireland played Italy and I went to an Irish pub and I watched the game but I had an Irish jersey on now I, for I forgot to put my jacket back on so I'm walking through Leicester Square and we beat Italy so I'm in great form and then a couple of English lads kind of kind of looked at me and they kind of ran after me and I was sprinting into Ticketmaster so there was that on a personal level nothing to do with acting in terms of the acting front I never yeah it was fine I never felt anything negative towards me being Irish or I, 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 anything like that. So, yeah. Do, do you feel it actually, as opposed to a hindrance, it was a help? People expected you to be sociable. People yes. enjoyed your company. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I never felt it was a negative thing in, in any way, shape or form. I didn't really get to know many Irish actors, so I was never part of an act, Irish actors community. Mm. Um, because I was just lucky that I kept working mm. and mm. a lot of the people I was working with happened to be English and they ended up becoming my friends rather than like an Irish because a lot of people sometimes you're drawn to it's a safety blanket it's right? a safety blanket and mm. I never I never did that or I never had that yeah yeah, yeah a, f a friend of mine who's an actor's work lives in London for many years and works in London and he said that the best decision conscious decision he ever made was to not fall into that trap. Right. It's to not become friends of the lads because right. you're drinking, you're complaining. Absolutely. You find yeah. yourself in a rut. And you're going uh, for the same work as yeah. well and it just becomes a little bit incestuous. There's a lot, of, little, that. There's a lot of that going on. So I, I kind of avoided that. Mm. Maybe not by choice, but I just did. I avoided it. You know, it just didn't, wasn't that my experience in London. Mm. So, and did yeah. you get an agent around that time? I got an agent from that film. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky. Yeah, blessed. Yeah. And then mm. they put me on. It was a really good agent. And this is, the power of a good agent because if you don't have a good agent you're going to scramble around like it's tough so I was going for really big work um, got some of it didn't get others and but I was you know I was in a good place I was I like I didn't have to do a part-time job initially then I did I, I started mm -hmm. in Ticketmaster when the kind of the checks dried up yeah. <laughs> but initially it was boom straight on the scene and out with casting directors out in a lot of auditions so yeah I got very very lucky yeah. how just because we've kind of entered into that territory, you've obviously been up for lots and lots and lots of stuff mm. over the years. What's it like when you don't get the job for you? How do you deal with Back rejection? in the day, I'd be devastated. <laughs> now I don't care anymore because no. you just have to leave it. You know, I mean, look, there's obviously still some jobs you want to get. Yeah. But for the most part now, as you're a bit of an older actor, a lot of this just work. It's just jobbing stuff. It's not like passionate stuff. Mm -hmm. Back then, when you're young and passionate and you were going for good work, yeah, it was like, you would think about it. It, it fester and you think, well, should I have done the audition this way? And why did I choose that guy? And all that stuff, all that stuff that's got nothing to do with you. Well, you're not in charge of anything other than when you're in the room for 15 minutes. Yeah. The second you walk out of that room, it's nothing. And, and all of a sudden, there's a woman playing the role. <laughs> like, that's how stupid the industry is. It's like, you think, 
I was too tall. I was too short. Like it's nothing, you know, sometimes finance comes in and they need a certain actor. Yeah. Sometimes they just, the character just changes. The writer decides to make the role a different way. Or the director decides he wants to use with an actor he's used before. It's got nothing to do with you. Mm. But it, but back in the day, yeah, I used to be really, it would, it would eat me up. Yeah. Yeah. Consuming. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 it's your life. Yeah, you know yeah, that means everything. Yes, yeah. um, so let's go. Kind of, I suppose, trip on to a, a bigger gig. When one gets a bigger gig, how does one react to that? How do you keep? How do you keep it? How do you keep it together when you know interesting things are happening? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I was young, so was I a little bit. I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know if naive is the right word. Just things came to me. Mm. You know, I did. I did a film called Last of the High Kings with. Jared Leto and Gabriel Byrne and Colomini, big Miramax film, and and it was that we shot that in Hoth, and then uh, I did a bit on Circle of Friends. The one thing I will say is though I, I did hustle as well, even mm, though I had yeah. the agent. I was a great one for, uh, you know, Screen International. It was a magazine then. I right. think it's just an online thing. It used to come out every Friday. I would get Screen International, and at the back of it, it would tell you films in pre-production. Mm -hmm. So I go, okay, so what's going to be made in the next six months? I'd see who the casting director is. I'd write them a letter. I'd see if it was a book. I'd buy the book. I'd read the book. And I would do that every single Friday. I would write to actors and directors. I wrote to Alan Rickman because he was a huge Alan Rickman fan. Now, he was with the same agency as me. So I figured I might get a response. So I write to Alan Rickman, right? (laughs) Mr. Barry. Yeah, right. (laughs) And... He was directing. No. A, he was directing a play in the Almeida, <laughs> uh, the Winter's Guest, it was called. And I said, I'd love to come see your play. I'm a huge admirer of your work. Get a phone call three weeks later from Alan Rickman saying, "Okay, you want to come in on Friday?" He was a real one for helping out younger actors, mm-hmm. um, and that's a really important thing for older actors. Yeah, well. right up until the end, right one or two, one or two people he went out of his way. Irish actors yeah. I know in particular yeah. when he was working with them in the UK, he yeah. was very helpful. Yeah, no, he is, and he was great. And I met him and went to see the play. We had a drink afterwards kind of exchanged phone calls here and there. And then when he was doing Michael Collins here, I was doing Last Night Kings, met up with him a couple of times. So I wouldn't say we became friends, but he was definitely mm-hmm. somebody who was, he was very helpful mm-hmm. to me. So in terms of like, yes, things did go well for me early on, but I definitely hustled. Like I really hustled, yeah. I did. Even with Circle of Friends, I, I now looking back, I auditioned for a role that I thought I was perfect for, and of course, I was never <laughs> going to be cast in a million years. But I'm young, so I think, yeah, I can. I'm an actor; I can do it. Yeah, yeah. But then I wrote to Pat O'Connor, and, and he's a big Man United fan, so I wrote. To oh, Pat oh, oh, we'll get to that. All right, lovely, lovely. <laughs> he's uh, a Liverpool fan. Oh dear, dear, dear. Dearie me. Yeah, you might just sneak into the top four. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I wrote to Pat O'Connor. I said I really enjoyed the uh, the meeting. It was a good, it was a good audition. I said I kind of. Don't know if I'm right for this role, but like I wanted to audition for it. Mm. And uh, he gave me, he threw me a bone and he gave me a couple of days work on the film. There's a couple of scenes in it. So that's what I used to do as a younger actor. That You, you do less and less of that as you mm. get older. Mm. But that's that's part of the hustle that I had. On top of things falling into place okay-ish, I, I did really hustle, I have to say. Was there an element of like very conscious or maybe unconscious at the time kind of po- positive visualisation yeah. I'm going to get myself on that Yeah, I'm going to get myself yeah. on that and I often look back and think I wish I still had some of that <laughs> in me now <laughs> but you know life gets in the way you know um, you change over time and responsibilities happen and, and but uh, it's I, neck isn't it you yeah I'd love neck, to right? I, you know, I'd yeah. love to have a conversation with me when I was 23, 24 and just actually look at me and go what was that? Like what was happening there? Because there was some good, there was something good happening yeah. in terms of being an actor yeah. and I'd love to just, just to look at it and go okay that's interesting yeah I can see why that's going on there. Yeah. yeah, I think what you lose, what what you need to lose in some respects, I would imagine you'd gain, you gain in in confidence or, right. or inner peace. And experience is another thing yeah. and inner peace is, is also an important thing. Um, what would you say to a 15 or 16 year old you? What would I say to What him? advice would you give or what would you tell him not to fucking do? <laughs> I tell him not when he got a little bit of fame, I would tell him not to be in Soho partying too much because it can happen. Mm-hmm. A lot of actors fall into that kind of the trappings of you have a few bob in your pocket. Mm. Things are a little bit things are easy mm. and <clears throat> you're hanging out with other su- successful actors. So there is that kind of energy that success is great and everything. Yeah, yeah. I would tell my 15, 16 year old self just to be wary of that, to be honest. That's what I would do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And was that a trap that you fell into? Do you feel you felt it? I, I don't know if I fell into it, but I was definitely on the, 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 the outside of it. 
Yeah, right. I don't think yeah, it affected. Yeah. I don't think it affected my work per se. Mm, mm. I know it affected me physically in terms of I put a lot of weight on. Right. Because okay. I used to be very very fit um, when I was living in Ireland. I was running, yeah. playing football, and then when I moved to England, uh, I, for whatever reason, I just didn't keep any of that up. Right. So if you're drinking pints. You know, actors back then didn't go to, go to the gym no. the way they do now. They didn't take care of themselves. It was, you know, it was a different environment. Right. And you go back to your Richard Harris's and stuff. Yeah. So it was like <laughs> yeah. each generation seems to be getting just that little bit better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I put a bit of weight on. And I think putting the little bit of weight on affected the auditions I was having because it was hard for my agent to sell me in a certain life when I was putting the little bit of weight on. And then mm. and then all of a sudden you're not going for those kind of roles that you really want to get and you start you know, swimming around trying to get other stuff. So, yeah, a little bit of knowledge on that front would have been good for, for a younger me, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And were there actors, I suppose, were there kind of Irish actors that you could, maybe there wasn't as, it was kind of a new era for Irish actors. Yeah, I mean... I think Jonathan Reese Myers would have been around Colin Farrell. Right. They would have been starting off then. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I can't. Yeah, I mean, you had that gap from your Gabriel Burns yeah. to kind of nothing for a while, mm. and then your Colin Farrells and your Jonathan Reese Myers and. Who like Who would you have looked up to? Who would I have looked up to? Um, from a, I guess from an Irish perspective as well. I mean, who was doing it for you that you went okay? Well, that's well. It was I mean, Miller's Crossing. Gabriel Byrne and Miller's Crossing was something that I thought that's pretty spectacular. And just for an Irish person to be able to get out there and do that and get away with that accent and get away with the accent. I know. There is no Kaiser Soze. I know. <laughs> but in terms of our, um, there was one actress, uh, Brian Dennehy, when he did The Iceman Cometh. I know he's, he's Irish American, but when mm. I saw him in The Iceman Cometh in the Abbey, it was just like. That's something special there yeah. that I've just witnessed. Yeah. And I often think about that performance. I know he just he died recently. Mm. I just think of that performance. He was just he was just on the stage. Mm. Um just presence like Unbelievable. Really then I, I had we had a, a Richard Harris. I always used to look up to Richard Harris and then we had a a few drinks with Richard Harris in uh, the Dockers. You remember there was a pub called the Dockers. Um, the ki- yeah, 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 it's yeah, where yeah, yeah. it was like the, it was the only film pub in the whole of Dublin. So it's an, any, an early house. Yeah, yeah. So any um, <laughs> if it was an actors' pub, it was, it was an early yeah, house. <laughs> any any film production that was going on, everybody would be in the Dockers. Mm. And he was doing a movie, and we were doing, actually Last Night Kings, and he was there, and I was with Lorraine Pilkington and a couple of the other actors from Last Night Kings, and he sat at our table, Jeez. and this is when he wasn't drinking, right. But he was drinking pints of Guinness like like water uh, at the end of it because he was buying everybody Guinness every time he had one probably to make himself feel better. Mm. There was just pints of Guinness on the table that none of us could touch. But he was like, but he was character. Yeah, he was uh, just talking about energy and presence and being with somebody. Yeah, it's infectious. Like there's something about certain people that when they walk in when they walk into a room, it's like, okay, who's this? And you know, he had that where he was just. And I know he was Rich Harris, and we all know he's Richard Harris. But there's still if you just strip back who he is. Just that energy, yeah. you know, and an elder man, an older man as well. He wasn't young. It was just like this. Whoa, that's great stuff. Right. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Yeah. So let's get on to the the elephant of every conversation. I'm sure that comes up for you. Yeah. What was it like being involved in that giant ship right. of, of an opportunity that yeah. came into your life? No, it was you know uh, obviously a big fan of Cameron. Uh, <laughs> so we did did a tape, sent it off to LA. Didn't think anything of it. And then like three, four weeks later, he got a call saying, you know, Jim's coming over to meet, you know, a bunch of people he wants to meet you. I said, that's fantastic. So I went in, met him, uh, had a great chat. He did a lot of improvisation. Again, walked out of the room. I thought I had the job. You you felt I did. Right. There's certain jobs that I've gone for where I've, I think I've got this job. From his reaction, do you think? I don't know. It's just a sense. Right. You just sense just the atmosphere in the room. There's something yeah. where you sense this person's into me, or this person likes what I've just done. Mm. And I, I remember, oh, I can't remember what the improvisation it was, but I was, t- I think I was talking about rotten potatoes or something. <laughs> something just so ridiculously Irish. But he laughed. He was laughing, and uh, I walked out. I think I got, I think I got this job, right? And then didn't hear anything for months. But that's then in my head, I'm thinking the job's gone. But that was nothing because they were just still trying to put the finance together because it was costing so, so much. So much, right? Yeah. And then I was living in a, a little bed sit in Harleston that had a, uh, a pay phone in the hall. So I didn't have a like, phone. So when somebody called you, there's like, <laughs> so my agent calls. I was like, and she never called on the phone ever. And I said, oh, this is like the bath phone. And I was like, <laughs> I pick it up and just like, 
Jay's not going to believe this. I said, why? He says, you just got that job. Uh, you're going to, to Mexico in October. And I was like, what? And then, yeah, went to Mexico. Uh, got stopped in San Diego airport and was dragged in by the border patrol because they thought I was working in San Diego, but I had to convince. Now I'm 23. I haven't like never been to the States before. It's like, what's going on here? Yeah. It's, a, it's a scam. <laughs> I've been set up by somebody. Somebody who hates me set me up. Um, so they chatted to me for like two and a half hours. And then they goes, OK, well, obviously you're working in Mexico, so we can let you go. So <clears throat> went over the border. You come down Rosarito and you just see this ship. You know, because it was pretty much, I think it was eight, eight tenths the size or nine tenths the size, only on one side. You know, on the other side, it was just scaffolding. Yeah. But you see the ship. And I was like, <laughs> this wow. is bonkers. And then, yeah, <laughs> it was great. I had a wonderful time. I was there for six months. You might only work two days a week, a day a week. Um, because he wanted everybody there because you never know who's running by or floating by <laughs> so they want everybody there yeah. uh, they don't make movies like that anymore it's, um, it's, it was too expensive yeah. but um, wonderful I got on really well with Cameron uh, he, he was difficult with some people I, I had a great time with him um, uh, yeah it was, but the standard like, clearly that's a result of the standard that he wanted to set yes uh, fair, I mean he would grab the camera off the cameraman and go, no, 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 this, this way. instead of this. He would even, uh, Leo has uh, handcuffs on and the makeup artist was, because it's supposed to be like a little bit bloody. He goes, no, 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 it's not, it's not, it doesn't look real good. That's, and he would do it himself. So that's, you know, and he's in the middle here of this huge film that's going way over budget, that everybody in Hollywood's slagging off, that he's editing in his lunch break and at nighttime. And they're working six days a week for for six months, and th four months of that was night shoots. So, wow. hell in the name of God, he held it together. And this, like, this is him. Like, there's nobody else around him. This is he's his own like, man. Like separating all the bells and whistles yeah. and everything else, but a human being, a human do, being. doing that. Yeah, like that his work. brain is all. Yeah. And I think his brother works for NASA. Right. So his brain obviously just is different. Than, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. we we went to the Titanic. Sorry to jump ahead, but we went to yeah, the Titanic yeah. 3D premiere like I don't know, six, seven uh, years ago. And he'd just been down to the bottom of the ocean the day before. Of course he had. <laughs> of course he had. And he flew in on private space the week before. And we're kind of standing there going, you know, just, yeah, this is great fun, isn't he? He's just been down to the bottom of the ocean the day before. You just kind of feel yeah, quite yeah. insignificant yeah, when yeah. you're standing beside somebody who really is that just on a different level, you know. Mm. So, so you know, the film world is lucky to have him. Not everybody loves his movies. But the film world is, is very lucky to have him. And even with the avatars, he's always pushing... Whether well, you like the film or not, he's mm. always pushing the envelope mm. in terms of technology. Mm. Like I think even for the new avatars, he's shooting underwater. Really? Uh, motion capture, which has never been done before. Wow. So everything is always yeah. the next step. You know, yeah. the next step. Pushing so. the envelope constantly. Always, mm. yeah. Because I don't think he'd be satisfied if it was just movie to movie to movie. That's kind of the same kind of thing. Yeah. I don't think his brain... I think he'd go crazy if it was just that kind of environment for yeah. him. But yeah, great, great experience. Came back to London after that, worked a bit, got some decent, yeah, decent jobs. Bit stuff. of a role then after bit that? Bit of a role after that. No, actually, sorry, I didn't. I went to Boston. Right. I, I met Ted Demi. I don't know if you ever heard of director Ted Demi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God rest them. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he was doing this Irish... He's Jonathan Demi's brother, right? And a nephew. Nephew, yeah. excuse me. Jonathan Demi produced it, yeah. It was called Monument Avenue. And it was Dennis Leary and Colomini, Billy Crudup and Fonka Jensen and all sorts of really good actors in it. Yeah, and Jeannie Triplehorn. And I was like the second lead in it. They, they, Stephen Dorff was supposed to do it <clears throat> um, because Martin uh, uh, Robert De Niro was supposed to be in it. So then Robert De Niro said, this is how the film works. Yeah, that's why you should never go crazy over an audition because right. it's nothing to do with you. Right. Yeah, yeah. So Robert De Niro decides he's not, he falls out with Ted Demi. So he says, I'm not doing the movie now. So then they get Martin Sheen in to do the movie. And Stephen Dorff's like, well, I was doing it because of De Niro. And so he, he bailed. He liked it, yeah. No, they were desperate. That's probably why I got cast. <laughs> Firstly, I'm Irish. Who's right? the hot kid Yeah, you, No, there's no hot kid. There's no hot kid. <laughs> Firstly, I'm Irish, right? And yeah, I had to be Irish because I'm Dennis Leary's Irish cousin. So they didn't have to worry about the accent. Right, okay. I just done Titanic. They had no idea how big or small the role was. So it's like he's in Titanic. Right. So they go to the money guys. We well, got this Irish guy. We don't have to worry about the accent, and he's in Titanic. And they go, okay, do it. So went to Boston, and we were doing that for two and a half months, and it was tremendous. It was like mobsters. Colomini plays this gangster boss, and zero points were drank. I would say no, no, <laughs> no, no, they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> I remember having a session with, Col with yeah, Colomini. Yeah, I, 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 I was going to. Yeah, he was supposed to. It was the day of the rap party. 
What's he like? Is he sound? Tell me, yeah, is he he's sound? He's sound. He's sound. He's he? sound. Yeah, I worked on him twice. He's, it was the day of the rap party, and we had a few pints during the day, and he didn't make it to the rap party. So that's right. there you go. <laughs> yeah. No, he was only there for a few days. Maybe he was jet lagged. You know, we were all there for a couple of months. So but yeah. So that was fun. Fish and chips and into bed. That gone. Six o'clock. <laughs> Six o'clock flight out of here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Um, what was it? Like, skipping ahead, I know you've mm. done you've, you've done so much work over the years, but I just want to just for the Irish mm. contingent of our listeners more so. I just want to kind of touch on some of the Irish stuff that you done sure. maybe a little bit later. What was it like being invited to come back? and work on something like Love Hate which is you know a cultural phenom- yeah. phenomenon really really is yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was aware obviously living in LA yeah. so I was aware of Love Hate I had no idea of the success of Love Hate yeah. and uh, so I did a self tape sent it over uh, thought I did a decent job I had a skinhead at the time so it kind of helps you know right, look, yeah. look at me and Moody and all that yeah. kind of stuff and I remember Caffo the director uh, David Caffrey I think when Maureen Hughes showed on the tape, he went, it's not Jason Barry. Because I met Caffo yeah. years. I never worked with him, but met him years ago. Yeah. And obviously I had to slim down and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, it's not Jason Barry. And she goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh. Because they, they wanted to bring in people who haven't been seen for a while. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so bring Jason in. <laughs> um, uh, so it kind of worked in my favor. Um, um, but yeah, when I came over, I remember the first scene we did and walking down the street with uh, Tom he's in a scene he's on down Cable Street like there's nobody blocking anybody off it's like an absolute free for all right. like normal people walking around and people go going, there's Nidge there's Nidge and I'm going Nidgey yeah and this is like this is crazy yeah. and then mm. we were shooting it and obviously nobody would have known my character so I'd you know, leave you alone but obviously Nidge or Peter yeah. Coon and they're all like yeah. or, 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 or Darren um so I didn't think anything of it. You know, did the job, really enjoyed it. It was a great experience. And then the, the show came out and it just went bonkers. Right. Like proper really, bonkers. Yeah, it was that series that it really, it really, it really lifted up, it didn't it? Really it really like, did. Yeah. It really, yeah. I mean, they, they you know, they'd re- Stuart really, you know, with any TV show, there's no doubt the first season, you're finding your feet. Mm-hmm. which is why you kind of get, have to give a TV series a little bit of leeway mm-hmm. initially. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to come in and knock it out. I mean, sometimes they do, but very rarely. And especially in Ireland where there's no money. Yeah. You know, you're flying by the seat of your pants, guerrilla filmmaking, you know, so it's fast. Yeah. You know, there's a lack of nuance at times. A lot of you just, just want to try and get stuff done. Sometimes you just want to get stuff done and whatever it looks like is whatever it looks like. Mm. So, but, but by, by, by season three though, they definitely, the writing and it was spectacular mm. and... The acting was fantastic as well. Oh, we all yeah. got sucked in. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And he's um, he's an interesting character. He's not the most likable guy, obviously. How did you get into the headspace for him? Um, I actually just, I felt sorry for him because mm. I think his dad... He's kind of an emasculated character. Yeah, I think his dad... Like, the fact that he's trying to find his dad, is, it's so sad because his dad would not have been nice to him over his life. So he was, you, you could argue that he was searching for his dad in life and then in death Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and that's the way I, I looked at it. Now, yes, he's not a particularly nice guy, but he's just being held in a box and he he's never going to get out of that box now because he's never even going to have closure with his dad. Mm. So I think that's where I, I came from. And obviously then you have Caffo directing you in a certain way. So, you know, you have your look, take on it. Caffo has his take and yeah. you get somewhere in the middle there, you know? Mm. Yeah, mm. for sure. And yeah, anchored by that incredible performance from Jimmy Smallhorn. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, just anchors Jimmy. it there. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> fantastic. And actually, funny because I'd worked with Jimmy before years ago on a thing called uh, When the Sky Falls. The, uh, oh, the, the Veronica Gurney. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 the one that nobody ever saw. They saw, they saw the other one. <laughs> I actually did see right, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John yeah. Allen. Was John it? Allen, yeah. yeah, yeah. Patrick Bergen. I was, I was Patrick Bergen's. Uh, cop sidekick very heavy cop sidekick at the time <laughs> I must say but um, so yeah so I'd worked with him on that because he was I can't remember what character he played it wasn't like the monk but it was somebody like that he was but uh, so we got on really well and then bumped into on, on Love Hate yeah, and, and a great. very important figure in, from an Irish that's cinematic right. point of view that's right uh, d- you know dealing with themes in his, in his film work that that's he directed right. absolutely that yeah. was not touched upon no you know, and, and living time. his life in New York as well and the theatre stuff he did there and some risky stuff that he was kind of touching yeah on. like a real artist absolutely yeah yeah, no, yeah. Good in the actor, true yeah. sense of the word um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about LA living in LA yeah. what's that fucking like <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be disappointed, I think. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, you know, I moved to LA. I was doing really, I was doing really well in London. So I uh, met a manager 
in LA who said, you know, you should come over. And so I came over and I dipped my toes in for a couple of months and, you know, met some really interesting cast and directors and, and had some decent auditions. So I decided, you know what, we I had a, uh, a young baby at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, if, if I'm ever going to do it, now is the time to do it because before have to go to school and all that kind of stuff. So I said, let's give it a go. We moved over. And initially it was fine. Did a couple of movies, nothing spectacular. The quality of the work, the quality of the work wasn't brilliant, but it was okay. You know, you have to reestablish the work. As well. We have to work, and you got to got to establish yourself with cast and directors who probably don't know who you are to a degree. Um, and then the manager, he got he got sick, he got really sick, and he was my champion. You talk oh. about having a champion. Mm-hmm. He got really sick. He got cancer, and he nearly died. Um, and then so he went away from the business for like three years. And I was with an agent who was you know, okay, but agents in LA are unless you're with CAA or William Morris, you're just scrambling around. And this particular agent wasn't, you know, a very hard working agent. So I started to fall through the cracks. Um and it became frustrating. And then unfortunately my marriage fell apart. Uh and we got divorced there. Uh, I wouldn't advise anybody to get divorced in California. Um, And we had two kids and then you're stuck. And the thoughts of coming home, you can't do that Mm. because you've got two kids. Mm. And so then time goes by and you're stuck. And still pick up bits of work. I tried to make a a 1916 project and I learned a lot on that. we so had, there were some really big names yeah, to that, yeah wasn't Gary Allman and Guy Pearce and stuff yeah we got close to that now how close I don't know but from what I gather it was close but in the terms of 1 to 10 it could have been 5 but at the time it felt like a 9 um, so I felt I fell through the cracks because life got in, life gets in the way you know if I had been back here I probably would have worked or in London but over there with not good representation and have, just having been divorced it just kind of changed everything. It kind of blew blew my career apart for a good couple of years, to be honest. Yeah. It's a good job you're not a footballer then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, that yeah, catchment no, area. No, that's the ab- thing. absolutely. It, yeah. it, it, it's very much that thing of it being, you know, and I suppose you have to have that mindset because I know you do a lot of running, right? Mm-hmm. You still I run? do, yeah, 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 for sure. It's that marathon, not a sprint. Absolutely. You, you know, you have yeah. to hold back because yeah. something's coming. You know? Yeah, and there was some jobs I turned down. Like there was one job I think that was shooting for like nine months I I couldn't be away from my kids f- f- for that long, especially mm. in the circumstances that we were we were going through, because the kids wouldn't have come to travel to see me. Right. So you you know you're turning down work that you desperately need, um, and you're also not around work that you want to get, if that makes sense. So, so you're getting absolutely no creative gratification. No, and that's when I started writing. To be honest, I started writing then. So, okay. but yeah, but in terms of the the acting, I definitely had a three four year period where everything was just kind of put on hold. Mm-hmm. And once you're out of the, the market for that period of time, it's hard to get back on the list. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. hard to get on the list in the I first know. place. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, but yeah, and then you start noticing that even the work that you are going for is it's not great at all because you're just going down and down and down and down. So, so yeah, so it's taken a period of time to rebuild from that, which I have. But that, 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 so that when you talk about LA, yes, it's got the sunshine, but there's a lot of darkness in LA yeah. f- for me. I mean, look at Colomini's work, mm-hmm. breadth of mm-hmm. his work. I mm-hmm. mean, he's had some stinkers. Yeah, absolutely. But the most naturally gifted mm-hmm. actor you could ever come across yeah. with some seminal, seminal important mm-hmm. performances. Yeah. What advice would you give to actors about choices? And in terms act, of? In, in the work, like... Um, Sometimes you have to make choices for different decisions, right? Right. Or, yes. you, or sometimes you have to take what you're, what sometimes you're offered. Sometimes you have to put food on the table. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the results of that. I think it depends on where the actor's at. I think if you don't have a family, you can be a risk taker. Mm-hmm. You go, it's okay if, I, if I'm eating beans on toast. If I trust myself and I'm eating beans on toast for the next six months mm-hmm. and I don't want to do, I don't know, a soap opera. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, I, and I was that way. I turned down a lot of that kind of... I'm not going to say... I, that kind of work, right? Mm-hmm. When we all get into the business, we all want to be in yeah. movies and, and stuff like that. So like that kind of work is not on the radar. So when you start getting, I mean, I remember the the manager, not the the agent said to me, you know, this is, 
the bold and the beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, God. For priest. Uh, what? For, for father, father of Flaherty. Yeah, yeah. The bold right, and the beautiful. Okay. And I'm like, is that how you see me? <laughs> yeah. And I said, but you know what it was? They just mm. wanted the commission. Yeah. They're happy to have you work mm. for two years on a show that you know is going to absolutely drive you demented mm. because they're getting their commission in. I find, it, when, sorry, I find yeah. when in, in LA, it's not as creative as you think. Mm. Dublin's much more creative than LA. London's much more creative than LA. LA is business. Right. It's business. And when you're at the top of the tree in LA, you can afford to be creative. When you're not anywhere near that, you're just a number. You're just an absolute number. And I know actors who, su successful actors, mm -hmm. who if they don't work within like an 18 month period and they're with like C ICM or CA, they'll dump them because they'll just, because they only have so much space for clients as well. So it's just, an, it's a numbers game in LA. And I think you can get sw swapped up very quickly mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. I, sorry, even I did a bit on, um, uh, what's the Sons of Anarchy, right? I found that the most, non-creative job I've ever done in my life. Really? Yeah, and i tell you why. Because it was the last season. I'd never seen the show, so it was the last season, so nobody's allowed to see scripts. Because, you know, you're going like... So the day the, the day we were... The two days I was shooting, on the morning they give you the script. Right. And I just... That doesn't work for was me. Like Ken Loach directing that yeah, one? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But it's okay if you've been doing it for six weeks and you've yeah. been improvising. You're yeah. walking into a machine. Right. Yeah. Everybody, like, it's the last season... Everybody's on a high. You're coming in. You know nobody. That's the one thing as well about being a day player. It's very. I mean, I'm sure you've had people say this to me before. I feel really sorry for it's day. The hard, it's the hardest job it's in the world because it? because you're joining the circus. You're joining the circus. Everyone has in jokes. Everyone knows each other inside out. Um, they've been on this machine or like six weeks into a job or whatever, or a TV series or whatever, and you've got to walk in and you're going to nail it. Mm. You know, you know, the cameraman isn't going to be messing around with you if you don't get it. And if you, and I'm sure there's a lot of nerves that kick in. And if you make a mistake, the nerves get even more because you're thinking, hang on, everyone's waiting for me to kind of do this. So I think a day player is the toughest job on TV and film, hands down, mm, toughest job. That's what Jerry, we had Irish Equity on last week and that's Jerry O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, safe pair of old acting hands. Yes, said indeed. That it's the hardest job in the world. It and is. unfortunately contracts in this country that's what they do is 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 they're they're set up in such a way that the majority of the work come through the ranks here is for day players, for day actors, players. great actors. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah. um, it's again the hardest job in the it world. It is, it really is. Yeah, uh, yeah. very gratifying for the for the gig, but you know, yeah. not necessarily as creatively satisfying. No, no, absolutely. And I felt like with the Sons of Anarchy thing, that's why I hated it. It was like nice CV gig though. Nice right? CV gig, and then I did, <laughs> we did. I did a bit on Valkyrie. Ne never made it into the film, right? right. But they must have spent. Like we're in Big Bear, which is kind of just north of Los Angeles, and uh, I'm playing this Nazi guy, and uh, uh, I never met Brian Singer, and he was I was three days on it, never talked to Brian Singer, he was directing it, right? Never in, talked to him in once. Video Village was he? Yeah, he was in Video Village. Never moved out of Video Village. Maybe he wasn't even there half the time. But mm -hmm. you know, so you know, it was three days up in Big Bear, and I'm walking around and. Just dead bodies everywhere. It was an alternative opening, but they went with a different opening. It's mad even hearing about like that they have the money to shoot. There was like there's a thousand <laughs> rubber bodies, say dead, and maybe a hundred extras, just to make it look like we had completely massacred this entire village. So I'm walking through, and uh, it just goes. It also shows how absurd Hollywood is. You know, spending all that money on nothing. Yeah, we, we get. I'm, so I'm walking through, and it's like TC Tom Cruise is is coming in on his helicopter. Jesus. So we're all standing there waiting for Tom Cruise to land his helicopter. So I'm like, he come, comes in, lands his helicopter, comes in, because he has this scene with me, never said hello to me or anything, has this scene with me where it, this is the moment where he looks down and he goes, I don't want to have any part of this in his head. Because yeah. he looks at me and he goes, what's all this about? I go, we killed them all, you know. <laughs> That's everybody. Um, and it's his, his moment. Oh, it's so safe. It's so safe you wouldn't believe. <laughs> and it's, uh, he looks down and like, I'm smoking a cigarette. It's like, I don't want to be part of this. Never had a conversation with him. Right. Worked with him for three days. No? No, nothing. No like chat between takes. Nothing. No, none of that. He had his little uh, Scientology village kind of section that people were, were right. either forced, <laughs> right, right. dragged into or, or whatever. But yeah, so... That, so that's why I mean it's not the most creative place yeah. now, of course if you're Christopher working with Christopher Nolan or somebody's brilliant maybe it's a little bit different but in my experience I found it not creative and I didn't I didn't like that and also in terms of auditioning you'd get an audition you get a phone call or an email like 8 o'clock at night 
saying they want to see you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and they'll send you over 15 pages of dialogue off book? and you have to be off book fuck yeah and that's why they recast so many pilots is that some people are really good at being off book but as soon as they actually have to be the character on set right. it falls apart so right. that's why they, that's why a lot of that recasting happens yeah, yeah. okay yeah so I, I didn't I didn't like the speed of that either you know you, you I'm, I wouldn't be the best at learning lines um at the best of times yeah right so you need to have those couple of days mm. but there the, it just didn't work for me you know it's just, a machine it really is a machine yeah. yeah yeah and is that what's the game plan now that you're home kind of basing yourself here yeah well look you know got an agent audition I'm available for work I'm available for work no we um I've got like six or seven scripts that I've written and four of them are with producers mm -hmm. so you know if one of them goes, hopefully another will go after that. I've been kind of focusing on that. Uh, Are you? Do you write for yourself? No, 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 no. Jesus, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I don't. No, I, yeah, because then you'd be disappointed if they don't cast you. You know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, look, if there's a role in there and interior, our time. Right, exactly. Right, Cabris. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, one of them is set in Cabris, but that's that's a different. That, that's a marathon run. Willy thing. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory too. Right, exactly. Um, so it, is that the focus? Is writing the focus more than writing? Now, writing or? is the focus now, right. and and then depending on. Right. If work comes in or, or whatever. So, yeah, so definitely like still 100% still in the business. Mm -hmm. um, probably like to direct at some point. I did direct a short, which I, I, I really enjoyed. Um, so, yeah. You, un you understood the James Cameron school of heavy lifting. Right. right? I, I did. I did everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that fucking lights. Give yeah, those I'll lights. do it all. I'll do it all. <laughs> um, what, was so, that, what was that like? The, the short? The short, just directing. They're just, you know, being, did you, was it, did it prevent, uh, uh, did it present challenges that you didn't expect? Um, more in the editing. I learned a lot. I wasn't sure about how to, I, I could visualize something, yeah. but like the, the, the editing, I really learned a lot on just how different you can make something, yeah. um, which I found very interesting. Um, in terms of the directing, no, I kind of, I, I enjoyed it. I was also in it. No, I need to say, but I had to because nobody <laughs> could see. <laughs> no one's going to finance this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but um, no, it was the. I learned a lot on the editing. I think that's what I really, w which I found valuable on that. Mm. Doing the short for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I'll just ask you about just circle back uh, about just mentorship in general terms. Mm. Um, do you feel how important is that in our industry to be kind to people? I think it's it's everything. Yeah. Um, I wish I had a, had a mentor over multiple periods, the yeah. same person. Um, I didn't necessarily have that. I think it's very important. I think it's important for younger people to, to listen to people who have experience, mm -hmm. who've made mistakes. Yeah. Um, that's invaluable because we've all made mistakes. There's nobody in the business who hasn't made mistakes. So if you can kind of tell a younger actor, a younger artist, you know, don't, you know, you don't need to do that, you know, or just do this or, you know, even simple things like to tell a younger actor to leave the audition in the room. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't. They love using that uh, Brian Cranston thing about, you know, do your job, learn your lines. That's Th it. That's your version. Good luck. That's it. And that's it. Because you can't, like I keep saying, you can't change anything. Yeah. Now, when I was a younger actor, I was going demented when I walked out of a room thinking, should I have done this? Should I have done mm -hmm. that? So it's easy for me to say now, if I'm sitting beside some 20 year old actor, you know, but they have their own process if that work, whatever works for them. But that's, you know, it's, I think it's important to give your two cents. Mm -hmm. And if they take it on board, it's hard with younger people because they're, they're present and it's, they're all, it's all going to happen for them. And, you know, your story is your story, but like, I've got my story. Mm. But a lot of people have similar stories. Mm -hmm. A lot of actors have similar stories. So, you know, I think mentorship is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, one last thing, just about mindfulness. And I'll let you go. Sorry. Go on. How do you how do you deal with that? Do you what what does it for you to help you cope? What's your coping running mechanism? Running, running, hundred percent. I uh, uh, I did I didn't run last year for six months because my knee was was bad. Okay. And uh, I started to turn into Jack Nicholson in The Shining. And my okay. poor wife, like I just bless her because uh, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't a pleasant person to be around. Um, but running. I initially started running, look, I used to run years ago, uh, uh, and I started running then to lose the weight when I was in London. And it turned out I was pretty good at it and started doing marathons. And I won the Celebrity 
London Marathon in t- 2004. I beat uh, mm. Gordon Ramsay and he wasn't too happy about it I'd either. I'd say not. Yeah. Fuck! <laughs> I was three minutes ahead of Gordon Ramsay. Fair play. Yeah. Um, the running is just, look, obviously it's good for your, your body, but more for the, for the brain that you can just let stuff go. The, the running for me, I, it's the only time I feel in true control of self. This is my body. I know what I'm doing. If I push it too hard, I'll slow down. If I want to push it even more, I know I can take it. And that's the one true time where I feel in control of myself is running. Yeah. yeah. Do you find when you're doing that, that, that you find a sense of, I wouldn't call it autopilot, but like as musicians find themselves falling into a riff or, yeah, you do. or improvisation and jazz or something like that. Do you find that when running? Yeah, like, you do. Because sometimes like, you'll feel, oh, didn't realize I ran that long today. Because you've just gone into some place. Yeah, where you're and then, gliding. Yeah, you're gliding. Or like some, some look, you, you know, sometimes you go for a run and it's tough. Mm. Um, but when you get into that zone place and you think you're one place, because you might have a route that you do. Right. You think you're one place and you're way further than you thought. You went, oh, what was going on there? You know, what was going on in my brain that I went to a place that mm. my mm-hmm. body was just moving <laughs> and yeah. I wasn't aware of exactly where I was moving. And now all of a sudden I'm here. But yeah, almost zen. Yeah, 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 pretty much. I have two words for you before you go. Yeah. Bruno Fernandez. Yes. Talk to me about him and what he means to you right now and how he's given your life meaning in the last <laughs> well, year. I tell you, without him, I think we'd be in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> I do. I do. Look, United are they're nowhere near any way challenging. I mean, maybe if they get Harry Kane, mm. maybe would would. Mm. Levy selling for less than 100 million possibly he's 29 28 29 need a center half I'd go for Declan Rice I'd put Declan Rice there just in front of the the central defensive pair but yeah Bruno Fernandes absolute it's funny because since we moved here because I used to watch all the games at um like 11 o'clock or 8 mm. o'clock over in LA mm-hmm. so I'm used to getting up going for running the game's on and then I'm in I'm in the apartment the other day and it's like 11 o'clock and I'm going I can't find the game but of course it's, <laughs> it was at 8 o'clock or whatever it was and it's like it's so stupid I'm going the game's not on I can't find the game it's like uh, no it's on tonight like scratching like, oh. an amputated leg right yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was my, my friend watched the uh, the boxing he just moved to Boston right and he was watching the boxing and he was like it was, it was so weird it was on at 11 right yeah and <laughs> it's true because I can't I, drink at that time I'm missing yeah. all the American boxing because I'm usually watching at, at, at the evening there but now it's like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning it's like oh, I've missed it all yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah Bruno Fernandes top drawer player exciting again to watch United a bit yeah, but then you watched them. There was crowds yesterday, and they didn't. I just thought they were very flat. I think they're just trying to get to the final. I think they're just trying to get to the final, get that over the line, and then with a couple of decent signings, we're definitely a hell of a lot better than we have been over the last six, seven, eight years. That's that's for sure. Mm. Whether Ollie's the man, I'm is, still. Is he the man to be at the wheel? Do I don't think, think he is. Mm. There is a bit of false, I don't think he there's is. A, an element of false profit for me. I I, yeah. I love him. Yeah, so do I. Look, he's been a legend to the club. I just. It's going to be interesting when there's fans back in there and the pressure's on. Uh, you know, he was lucky to keep his job. He was he was almost out the window there at one stage. So for me... And I'm a mouth, so I was on social media saying... I think I did like as that. well a little bit, yeah. Um, I don't think he's... He's a he's 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 a good manager. He's not an elite manager. I don't think he's he's got enough there to to really drag them. He's no pep. He's no pep. One, uh, one very last thing. Glazers mm. in or out? Well, look, the obvious thing is to say out, but the Glazers have pumped a lot of money into the club. Mm. Now, admittedly, it's Manchester United's money. Mm. So I don't know. Who do you get? I mean, unless you're going to get a country <laughs> or, you know, a mm. Russian billionaire, mm. will that mean the same? Uh, for, the, the one thing I don't like hearing is that Old Trafford apparently is falling apart. Mm. Apparently behind, like, behind the scenes... Uh, it's it's not a great stadium. Yeah, apparently, a, it, Carrington it's, isn't it's, a great. It's the engine of a Morris Minor. Yeah, no. Twenty happen. years ago, yeah. it was like the best place you could possibly go, and Carrington would have been the best uh, 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 training ground. Apparently, yeah. Carrington isn't great either, compared to your cities and your Chelseas and your Arsenal's. So that kind of tells you something. Hmm. You know, putting a few players on the pitch and spending eighty million on Harry Maguire is that just papering over the cracks when actually the club itself is just slowly mm-hmm. decaying. So the natural thing would be, yeah, Glazers out, but then be careful what you wish for. You know, and who do you get in? And they're a public company as well, so I don't know how that, that, that all kind of stuff works. But 
should have bought shares in them years ago, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that and Bitcoin. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks well, so much. Best of luck with the move. Great to have you back on our shores. Oh, yeah, it's uh, fantastic. We'll hopefully see you in, in more stuff. Ah, you will do. You will Absolutely. Do. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers All right. Thank you. is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.